Hello, welcome back to the Rogue Tours podcast. My name is Chad Durham. My name is Jacob Hampton. And I wish we had a song about like, Rogue Tours is back or something <laughs> like that. Because <laughs> it's been a little while if you, if you are, uh, you know, a really close follower, you may have watched our Facebook Live video. Um, but yeah, we haven't, we haven't done an episode since prior to the Oscars, which were like a month ago. It's been a drought. It has been a drought, yeah. So today is an episode about our 10 favorite scores, film scores of all time. We did a Hans Zimmer one with our friend uh, Josh Wiltbank in, I don't know, October maybe? I don't know. It's been a while. Fall sometime. And, so we, and we had, at that time, talked about doing a favorite, favorite scores, but we wanted to spread that out from Hans Zimmer. And today is that day, and if uh, we had a, we had a few people tell us, "Oh man, when are you going to do a new episode?" Which we appreciated. Thank you for listening. Those same people, if you want to let us know some stuff you want to hear, um, you know, it's been a while since we came up with new <laughs> ideas because we did a lot of Oscar stuff and our favorite movies of the year, and so now we're we're moving into like, oh yeah, let's get back to some original podcast episode content. Yes. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. But first. Uh, we wanted to do a brief one-minute Oscar recap each. I know the Oscars were like a month ago, and some of you are listening to this even later. But we wanted to make sure that we could say some ranty things mm. <laughs> really quickly. We're going to be fast because we've got ten, ten scores each to talk about. And then Jake's going to talk a little bit about Captain Marvel, um, and then we'll talk about scores. So, yeah, do you want to you give about a minute on the Oscars? So bad. <laughs> uh, I guess... Some positives, Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress, yeah. I was super pumped about. Uh, I feel like there was one other win at some point in the night that I was like, okay, I'm, uh, I'm pretty cool with that. Can't remember what it was, though. But I was, there was a lot more disappointment for me. Uh, obviously, Best Picture going to Green Book. So undeserved, in my opinion. Same with the screenplay. I really did not think it was notable in any way compared to... Even in within the category that was nominated, it was was far from the best script. Well, the favorite was in that, cat- was exactly. in that category. Exactly. <laughs> Awful. And then um, uh, I've since watched the first half of Bohemian Rhapsody. Hey, I have also watched okay. most of Bohemian Including Rhapsody. Including the, there's this, if you've looked online, this one, of, one scene in particular is notorious for its bad editing, when they're like sitting around a table talking with the manager or whatever. It won and best editing. And it won best editing, and I'm just... So I, I lost a lot of faith in the Oscars at... Uh, from this ceremony. Yeah, I'll just add on, like, the Olivia Coleman thing was amazing. At that point, I thought the favorite was not going to win any Oscars, and I was hurt about it, to be honest. And then Olivia Coleman won, beating Glenn Close, who... And we both had picked, I think, Olivia Coleman, even though Glenn Close was pretty great. Um, but in a year with Black, Black Panther and Black Klansman, it's a slap in the face for that Green is. Book to have won Best Picture. Uh, very cool that Spike Lee won... You know, oh, I think that's the other thing Black I was Klansman. thinking of. Very I was cool. very happy about that. Yeah. And and the word was that, that Spike Lee actually got up and left when Green Book won Best Picture. That's what people said. Oh, and he him. came back in and he kind of said, oh, these driving movies, because Driving Miss Daisy won in the year that he made uh, Do the Right Thing. Mm. So yeah, the Green Book thing was tough because it kind of cast a pall over the whole thing. Um, but there were some other, there was some other good stuff. I'm I'm glad. Black Panther got some love. I just think that's cool. Yeah. Um, production design and... Costumes? Uh, costumes, yeah. Which were... It was great production designing, really cool costumes. So, uh, very fun. Um, but yeah, to end the night with Green Book winning was... It really felt kind of like a slap in the face and a step backwards. So, that was hard. Rough. 
Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you think if you want to, you know, hit us uh, up on Twitter or on Facebook. And a quick, a quick Captain Marvel thoughts. I know that was a bad sentence, English teacher, uh, a but... A quick Captain Marvel thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> quick Captain Marvel thoughts is what yeah. I meant without the uh, before. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was enjoyable. It, I have, like, have no raving to do about it, that is for sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I do have complaints about the screenplay. I thought it was... I mean, I was tired when I saw it, but it, to me it felt a little convoluted and just, like, I was so uninterested in the story for the most part, and so, I don't know. It was funny in the right places, but generally, if the story of a Marvel movie is not gonna, like, engross me, which it, they usually don't, except for maybe Black Panther, I would yeah. say, and kind of Infinity War, but the story didn't engross me, so if that's what's gonna happen with my Marvel movies, I want them to be pretty consistently funny and this one wasn't funny enough for me to like right. love it so there just was not anything that stood out about it yeah. particularly uh i mean it's sad that this is the 21st or whatever and it's the first to have a female lead i uh, know but we gotta be pr- we gotta be happy about that yeah regardless of you know if the movie doesn't work as well i'm happy right. they made it yeah, right? I haven't seen it yet because I want to see it with the kids and we haven't had a chance at this juncture. But And I, I wouldn't say by any means that it's like a significantly lesser quality than Marvel movies usually are. I think just in my brain, every time I see one that doesn't like, you know, change it up for me like Black Panther did, every single one of that doesn't change it up, I kind of like it a little bit less than the previous one. Right. So it's just like it it didn't subvert that for me. Yeah. Good friend of the podcast, Matt Martin, said he thought it felt like, even though he enjoyed it, he thought it felt like just one giant setup for her role in Endgame. Yeah. Which comes out a month from this day we're recording, by the way. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah. everyone was, all the uh, actors and actresses were tweeting about it. One month. Oh, no. They have posters that say, Avenge the Fallen. Hmm. And it's like, I think the alive people in these posters. I wonder how much they get paid for those tweets alone. <laughs> I know. It was everybody. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman, Brie Larson, Chris Pratt, uh, oh Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans. All right. Well, yeah. Let us know what you thought about Captain Marvel. Hopefully, I'll get to see that soon. And um, Jake is going to see us very soon. Yes. Today, in fact. And I'm still afraid, but I'm going. I'm planning <laughs> to go see it with my sister Krista. I'm still afraid. When, yeah, like, I'm afraid. The I'm flagship so champion of Get Out. So I know, but that's because Get Out ended up not being as scary <laughs> as I thought. And Eric, Eric saw it. He liked it a lot. Just to give Eric a shout out because he didn't get to join us today. But he liked it a lot. He tried to tell me it wasn't as scary as Get Out, but I had multiple students tell me it was way scarier than Get Out. So Uh-oh. I think Eric was trying to play me to go <laughs> see it. But that's cool. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, no, I don't remember what else I was going to say. The end. Um, all right. Top 10 scores, favorite scores of all time. Oof. And what we're going to do is we're going to try, generally speaking, to go through our 10 through 6 in a quicker manner and then allow ourselves a little more time for 5 to 1. Um, I think on our Hans Zimmer podcast, we did talk a little bit about what makes a good score to us, but I think it'd be worth mentioning briefly. Um, so if you don't mind, what are, what are some things that really make, I mean, whether or not we're repeating here, we're just going to go for it anyway, but, uh, makes a score really stick out to you or become one of your favorites. I remember you mentioning if you can listen to it independent of the movie. That's the only thing I remember. Okay. Yeah, so I'll emphasize that again. I think I think a score should, of course, have like a symbiotic relationship with the movie where it supports what you're seeing in the movie, but it also, you know, makes you think about the movie 
outside of the uh when you're not watching the movie but i also love a score like chad just mentioned that can kind of function as like an just an album of music that's great on its own regardless of the any attachment to uh the movie that it's a score for so uh, i think a lot of my scores function that way uh and then also i i generally want to feel something pretty strong uh so i'm a real sucker for anything that's gonna have huge emotional swings uh and resonate with me that way and then i also love originality so you'll notice on my list there are um relatively few like kind of just traditional strings oriented scores there are some but i i tend to be extra impressed by those that you know do something different with weird instruments or uh you know odd uh, rhythms or melodies that would that almost can even like almost distract you in the movie, but uh, when they're the best scores, they they pair with it well anyway. But nice, definitely uh, big on untraditional scores. Nice, love it. Um, yeah, I love being able to listen to it outside, of course. Uh, uh, and it's important. It's important, obviously, like you said, you use the word symbiotic, which is a great word. Um, kind of that relationship where it uh, it obviously has to be a part of a part of you know, what it's doing there, I guess. Um, Big emotions. I mean, I don't mean that a score has to be big. That's not what I mean, but being moved by something within or without the the movie. Um, And I'm I'm a sucker for most movies. I would just say most. and, and, And we emphasized before, Jake has a little bit more of a musical background than I do, but overall, I don't know that we, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but know a ton about the real business of composing and, and I mean, I'm always, I talked about this a lot with Hans Zimmer, blown away just by the ability of composers to do what they do. But I think I'm on pretty solid ground in saying most scores have one or two big themes yeah. that kind of play throughout. That's a big thing for me. Like I, there's a score I'm going to mention. It didn't make my top 10, but I'm going to mention it right at the end. I won't even mention it when I say which ones we missed and I'll say why then, but it has one of the most achingly gorgeous songs period that I think I've ever I've ever heard and it didn't make my list only because one thing I did I was going to mention this later but I I didn't include any composer twice just because I didn't want to my son was like you can do whatever you want it's your podcast episode and I was like you're I know (laughs) but I wanted to spread it out I didn't and with one particular composer I probably would have had these two scores one and one and two um, and I ended up picking, one of them has this, like I said, this gorgeous theme, but that's really the backbone of the entire thing. So I didn't choose that one, but I do love a theme that really just sticks with you, even though there are a bunch of other songs. And, and obviously I love, I love a composer that's willing to hit the different emotion or a score, the different emotional notes of a movie. So it helps if the movie has a lot of different things going on. Yeah. So then you have like the adventurous theme and then you have some more melancholy stuff. I like that a lot. Mm. Um, or they have to um, bring in different cultures, you know, like we, we, part of the movie takes place here and that composer, regardless of if they have that, if they're of that culture or that race or that ethnicity, has to go research and figure out some of the sounds, which also brings in other instruments and stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff that really shows like a, a breadth that that composer could, um, can achieve. Mm-hmm. So those are some of my some of my things. Cool. But my and mine, I wanted to make sure to say mine are really really personal. Like, and we say that all the time. But even more here, these are what, movies that I've watched for a long time. So the scores like have stuck with me. I, 
I know that a lot of these wouldn't be on any big list of, in probably more extremely than any of my other lists. Right. Because it's just like these, I watch this movie a lot. We listen to the score a lot. Um, you know, whatever the thing is. So it's become, it's even more personal than our normal. These are obvious favorites. And I would never go to bat for these being some of the greatest scores of all time if talking to a music expert or something like that, you know? Same, yeah. I have maybe three that would be like you might see on all time lists, but nice. other than that, awesome weird stuff. So, okay, I'll I'll start with some of my scores that didn't make it, um, and then if you if you have a couple of those, yes, I do. Yeah, so I have I don't have John Williams on my list at all, which I know will offend many people out there, but I did have one of his that just barely missed, and that is the Book Thief score that wow. John Williams did, which I think is one of his most underrated scores. I still believe it was nominated for an Oscar because basically if his name's on it, it's going to get nominated for an Oscar. But it was one of my favorite things about the adaptation of The Book Thief. I thought it, it's – and it eschews some of the things we expect from John Williams, which I think – I didn't even realize it was him. Saw the movie. was like, man, this score is incredible. And then waited in the credits. <laughs> it was like John Williams uh, – oh my gosh. I should have realized. Um Two Thomas Newman scores. Thomas Newman's a great composer who didn't make my list. I love his score for Wally and his score for Skyfall. And then one of my very last cuts, well, let me get to that one in a Pan's Labyrinth by Javier Navarrete, which mm. is one I really like. Very, very melancholy while evoking uh, fairy tales, but also realism. Punch Drunk Love by John Bryan, which is like really, really weird, like you talked about. I use it in my film lit class to really point out like, the way you can use different sounds and different instruments and have the music too loud instead of the way that they mess with that. And then the one that got cut last, and I didn't make any ties. I almost made a Whoa, tie. No but cheating. I was like, okay. after all the jokes, I'm not going to do a tie this time. This is the one that would have been tied for number 10 uh, if I had cheated, which I didn't. Is The Last of the Mohicans uh, by Randy Edelman and Trevor Jones, which is a really well-loved screen... I mean, uh, sorry, a really well-loved score. Um... But by two guys who did like almost nothing else. Interesting. They like weirdly, it's very strange. Made this and one huge of them, contribution. Then yeah, yeah, out. yeah. It's like a really famous score. It didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but like the one guy did it and then had a falling out like with the producers or whatever. And so then the other guy came in and finished it. Anyway, uh, those are some of mine that, that didn't quite make it. Sweet. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, as I thought about this, I, I kept thinking of a few TV scores that I just want to like throw Give a some mention love for since I did not like cheat and include a TV show score on my list. So Would have been okay. Uh, we like cheating here. One of my favorite shows ever, Lost, I think, uh, has some amazing scoring going on throughout the entire series. It's like all original score for six seasons. It's amazing. Uh, Who did it? G- Michael Daniel? Giacchino. No. Yeah, sorry. I need to be good about that. No, no, you're uh, fine. I might that have... was more for me. I was like, I think oh, it was... Yeah. I, is it Giacchino? It's Giacchino, yeah. Oh, I always said Giacchino. Thanks. Oh, no, I might be wrong, actually. It doesn't matter. Okay, I don't whatever. know the answer. You can let us know. You can if you let know. us know. Yeah. Uh, this isn't my favorite show by any means, but uh, I love what the show Westworld does with its music. It's, oh, nice. uh has an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, I was seasons. super disappointed in that show. That's a side note for another time. But oh, we actually I started watched watching it. it. It is disappointing. It was really disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I wanted this to be better, especially when you watch Game of Thrones, and I was like, this show's amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go on. Uh, okay, and then, sorry, I'll get to time. actual movies now. <laughs> uh, but uh, some I knocked off my list for various reasons. Uh, a couple horror-related uh, scores that I knocked off for are just a recency bias were uh, the movie French movie Raw from a couple of years ago. has an amazing, amazing horror theme. And then Split, which I love. Nice. Uh, the score is one of the things I love about Split. 
Uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre is an old movie I've mentioned before on the podcast. Uh, I ruled it out just because I boil it down to it's just the one main theme that I love and not the entire yeah. score, but it's a good main theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Phantom Thread I ruled out for recency oh, bias, but I love I should have put that on there yeah. on my didn't make it list. Oh, Phantom Thread. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. Uh, Johnny Greenwood. Another recent is A Ghost Story. I love the uh, yeah. quiet, beautiful score of that. Chase, my son was looking up, because he knew we were doing scores, was looking up people's lists and... Phantom Thread and A Ghost Story were on a lot of people's, like, in the last X years oh, no or way. last Good. year or whatever. I didn't realize it had much, like, popular love, Nor so it's good. And then you re- but he read it, and then you, oh, yeah, yeah. you need to go listen to that Great. score again, because that's that a good movie. It's good. Uh, last one I'll mention uh, that I took off to not duplicate uh, composers is the Psycho score. Nice. Bernard so, Herman, yeah. So spoilers that I have another Bernard on there Bernard somewhere. Bernard Herman's coming up later. <laughs> I have a guess, actually, but I'm not going to say it. Okay. Just tell me when it. I say it if you were right. I will. I'll, I'll just say I was right anyway. <laughs> That's exactly the one. Um, yeah, I kind of wish it'd be cool if we like, you know, we were a legit operation and we could play little snippets of some of them. And I thought about writing down like my favorite track from each one. I know, me too. I didn't do it and neither did Jake, it sounds like. No. Um, so that you guys could go out and listen. Most of the YouTube is pretty like, I mean, pr- probably a lot of you have Spotify and play for mm-hmm. Spotify Premium. If you don't, YouTube has most scores. Where yeah. each, I mean, you have to listen to stupid ads in between mm. if you're just normal, but um, like me. Um, anyway, but I will, there might be some times where I whistle or sing a little part. Not, <laughs> I mean, sing is strong because there are some pretty, there's some pretty great stuff. Even just one track that I want to highlight. So let's go. We're going to try to go faster on 10 through 6. And if you want to hear more about those, obviously you can contact us, call us, <laughs> at us, and the various social media platforms. Let's have you go okay. for it. Jump in. I'm excited. Uh, am I going 10 through 6 or we're just going alternate? But let's quick? all. Yeah, let's okay. alternate. Is that cool? No, that's good. Yeah, let's all. We'll alternate. Fast. Okay. Uh, you might have this one in your list somewhere. My number 10 is uh, James Newton Howard's score for The Village. Oh, nice. It's not on my list, but that's oh, a great score. Okay. Oh, such yeah. a great score. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, contributes to the tension of the movie when it needs to, but also uh, draws out the beautiful yeah. emotional moments. Uh, and so memorable. Like, I put it on and, like, students are always like, where have I heard this? And I'm like, you ever seen The Village? And they're like, yeah, it is from that, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, it yeah. is. Um, I used to use the opening credits, and I would play it for them, and I'd ask them what was happening. And they're like, oh, there's a war. Oh, da, da, da. And then I show it, like, nothing, nothing. Just happening. opening credits. And uh, they're oh, why? And, like, he's trying to establish a tone. Yeah, it's a great score. No, oh, I'm so glad you have that on there. Okay. you good? Yeah. Now, my number 10 is really really personal it's the first album that the score first score i ever owned and i bought it it's mission impossible by danny elfman and i bought it because i wanted the revamped version of the mission impossible theme that they had done and it's not on there and i was like so disappointed or whatever and then i started listening and really loved like it was the first i really started to appreciate how music works and then when i rewatched mission impossible and always still the music seems so loud to me this is the first time I ever like listened to it outside of the movie. And then I watched it like, oh, wow, how can anyone even hear what they're saying? <laughs> Which I think I may have mentioned on the podcast before. Excuse me. But I really like it, and it, it is 100% personal. It was just the first time that I really started appreciating the way these composers craft themes and increase tension and all that stuff. So it will always have a place in my heart. Sweet. Uh, my number nine 
unless I'm remembering wrong, but I think this is John Williams. Uh, is my uh, my John Williams, so I'll represent him for the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, everyone will be like, "How can you not have John Williams on there, Chad?" But like, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I might be wrong. I'm only feeling ninety percent sure. He did <laughs> Harry Potter one. Yeah, number one. Yes. Okay, then yes. He did Harry Potter number one. Uh, Harry the Potter rest of one. Them, I think they used his themes, but he didn't. It was other right. composers. Okay, yeah. Harry Potter one is my number nine. Then, uh, kind of similarly, I have some nostalgia with this one. I had I owned the CD version of the score and uh, yeah. Uh, aside from the main theme that Chad just whistled, there are uh, several different themes that permeate through the rest of the movies and come up at various times. And I just wanted to recognize it because uh, those scores or those themes are iconic to me, yeah. and like uh, I appreciate it as a whole, not not just the main theme. So. Love me some Harry Potter themes. Tons yeah. of nostalgia attached to them. Everyone knows John Williams is incredible. I didn't mm-hmm. need to confirm it, or Jake <laughs> didn't need to confirm it, but right. that's awesome. My number nine is is shout out to my father, whose favorite movie of all time, at least it was for years and probably still is, is The Hunt for Red October. And The Hunt for Red October score is by Basil Polidorus. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But there's a choir in it, too. I mean, I know that's kind of cheating, but mm. I think he composed the music, and then they have these guys do 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 do, and it was kind of that movie was essential to my understanding of the way that things could be both entertaining and art at the same time. Like a lot of my favorite genre films, it kind of transcends the trappings of the genre. It's based on a Tom Clancy novel, okay. um, and the score really helps it do that. Um, there's it, it's about him wanting to like defect, and it, Sean Connery's in it. Um, and there's an adventurous feel in a lot of the themes that he composed. Um, but there's also this yearning cause it's about him wanting to, you know, go to the United States and stuff. So I, I love it. it. And it reminds me of my father and just, I love the way the chorus adds emotion, even though that's obviously like grafted on to, to what he created. Anyway. So my number nine, Hunt for October. Sweet. Uh, my number eight, I hesitated on just because so much of it is, the score is adapted from a Christian hymn, but I chose to include it. It is Carter Burwell's score for True Grit. Nice. Uh, oh, good music. Yeah. And so a lot of the score is repeating this theme from Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, which is a song that already existed. He didn't make the melody, but it's just done so well throughout the movie. And there are a couple other, uh, it might even be the whole score is all adapted from Christian hymns, but he just does these piano, I, I guess, like, I don't know transposings adaptations i don't know what you'd call it in music but um that give true grit it's it's western flavor and so nice you have another one later it's way later uh that was actually adapted from stuff and that at the time it won an oscar because there were two score oscars at the time which i didn't even realize oh i just looked that up today and there was like best like it was called like best song and score adapted from previous oh, material or something like that yeah, wow yeah, true story. So specific but that'll come up later um, my number eight is uh, from a movie I mentioned before when we did Alfonso Cuaron, uh, A Little Princess, which is scored oh, by Patrick yeah. Doyle, and he's done a lot of, of great scores for many years, and I've always said one of my favorite family films of all time, possibly the best in my, in my estimation. Um, but it has a lot of, it has like influ- Indian influences, uh, meaning India, because she has a life in India, and then it kind of has to contrast in her kind of cold life. But there's this theme, do 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 do, do 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 do. Anyway, really pretty, and it and it it's like there's this undercurrent of hope running underneath some of this sad stuff that he has to create, which is really important to that movie and its feel. Um, they do a lot of contrasting stuff with the with the um, production design too, and the music kind of helps with that. She goes into this cold world from this 
other kind of happy, vibrant world. And Patrick Doyle has to suggest a lot of that with the music. And we, we were just listening to it the other day as I prepared for this. And my wife was like, I forgot how great this score is. Yeah, it's, and it's, and it's, I like subtlety. And I, and I think that one has more subtlety, even though I mentioned I like big. I do, I like mm-hmm. big. And my number one has a lot of big. Um, but the uh, Little Princess, like one I'll wrench, uh, mention later, is a really subtle. Sweet. Uh, my number seven, you've already heard me talk about, uh, if you listen to our Hans Zimmer podcast, but my number seven is my number one from that podcast, which is the score for Interstellar. Uh, yes. So, I mean, uh, I said a lot about it there, but I love the, uh, the fact that the organ is the main instrument that powers that whole score and that it feels, uh, like there's variety and, uh, like variation the whole time. And then I love when it comes back to its main theme that it just like. Mm, pumps out of those organ pipes. It's good. Nice. I ha- My Hans Zimmer one's coming up, too. Okay. My number one from Hans nice. Zimmer is number six, I think. Yep, it is. Uh, my number seven is Forrest Gump, uh, which was composed by Alan Silvestri. Got an Oscar nomination. Um, in some of the themes, he really gives this epic feel. But It's about, you know, all this. Because that also has a great soundtrack, which overshadows a lot. Mm. Because they have this era-hopping soundtrack that kind of brings you into all the eras. But then he also composed the the feather theme at the beginning, which to me is so beautiful. Which I also show in Filmlet. Um, and so he really had to have like this this epic thing that represented the turmoil of all these different uh, time periods and stuff, and showed the the growing of of Tom Hanks's character. But also he had to suggest the innocence and the naivete because of the mental issues that the main character has. Um, and that, that feather, I don't know what it's called, but the opening theme is, it does that so well. Sweet. Love that one. Uh, okay. My number six is kind of complicated. So it's technically two different scores, but there's cheater. A, <laughs> just kidding. But there's for the same movie. There was just a controversy where oh. two different scores were made and, but there is a version out there that incorporates both of them. So if you ever watch this movie, try and find that version. Uh, so this is interesting. Your rhythmics and Dominic Muldowney's Combined scores for the 1984 adaptation of George Orwell's 1984. 1984? The Eurythmics did a score? I didn't yep. know that. Mm-hmm. So, and Mind I think it's, it's harder to come by the version that has the Eurythmics score mixed in, but it is so good. It is, it's heavily 80s influenced, which I mean... Yeah, it's the Eurythmics. Uh, yeah. Sweet But it's dreams. so That's weird. That's right? Sweet yeah, dreams. Mm-hmm. It is so weird, and it gives this like completely unexpected vibe to the story of 1984 but then like when i watched the movie i was like of course this story should have this vibe to it like so good but then dominic Muldowney's score uh he wrote like the the anthem that they have for uh, their country oceania in uh in the movie and it's like such a good anthem i'm like you know what like if our country wants to replace our anthem with this one, I'm, just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get attacked i still um, haven't seen 1984 i need to see it it's really good roger and deacon so, shot it Yes, which blew my mind because I didn't know, and then I saw in the credits, and I was like, "He he was there. He yeah, did." Yeah, even in- <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I love both aspects of that score. It's That's so awesome. Good. My number six is my Hans Zimmer number one, which is Inception, um, and I discussed it at length in the Hans Zimmer podcast. It's in moody, feels new. It's anchored by this like that really gives Inception its feel. Shout out Hans Zimmer. All right, let's go and let's we'll do we'll go back to our snaking thing that we like to do. Okay. I'll still have you go five, and then I'll go five four, then you go four three. Like we, I don't know why. Sounds good. Do. It's kind of what we do. It's what we Welcome do. Welcome back to Rogo Tours. <laughs> All right, crash course. Go, go uh, for it. 
Okay, I'm bringing Bernard back. Uh, Bernard, I'm bringing Bernard back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite Bernard Herman score is that of Vertigo. Chad mouthed it along with me. Yes. He knew. That was what I suggest. Oh, oh, I love Vertigo and its score. Tell me more. Such a brilliant blend of the different tones and moods that that movie combines, where you have this very classical sounding, like golden age. Hollywood romance score, but it's mixed in with something darker because there is something darker going on oh, in the movie. What a movie, what a movie. And, oh, it soars and then it drops. And uh, so, I'm, with my top five, maybe I'll mention favorite tracks, but uh, actually, I'm going to put my French to the test though, because the track name is, I mean, it's Scene d'Amour, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's what plays during the climactic, famous moment where. Uh, spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> the, the spoiler-filled moment. You know what it is, I guess, if uh, you've seen the movie. So good. And it's like somehow like a five-minute scene, and it doesn't feel like it at all because the score just like drives it, uh, along with the cinematography and the lighting. Man, ah, Vertigo. Vertigo. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, I've talked about Vertigo before in various different things. I did, I did an article for Taste of Cinema about Vertigo. I, I saw Vertigo I I for the first series. time in college... And was blown away, like literally was blown away. Like, how can anyone think Hitchcock made any movie better than this? I know. Like, it, it blew my mind. But including him. He that, didn't think so. It's oh weird. my gosh. It blew my mind that anyone could ever think Vertigo wasn't the best of his movies. AFI had done their list. I, I think I've mentioned this before. AFI had done their list of the top 100 movies of all time. And it was like 64. They did that in 97. And they redid it in 2007. It was at 64 back yeah. then? Yeah. Okay. And they did it again in 2007 and it was number nine. Yeah. Of course and, it, it was. and it wasn't number one for Hitchcock before. It was like six, It was like two or three. And then it was number one. Mm. And then uh, Sight and Sound, which I think is a British magazine, I think did a, a poll in, in I, I would say, in the last five years. And it was Vertigo, 2012. They did it every 10 oh, years on the... six years. Seven years now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was Vertigo. That was number one. Over and I was like, oh, pain. so everyone's now figuring it out. Like, because I was so struck by how... I, I know where I'm not talking about the score, but <sighs> but the score is a big part of it because it every element is a big part of Vertigo. And, and it's impressive how well realized the, the vision is. And that extends, obviously, to Bernard Herrmann's score. Yeah, I'm so glad you had that on there. Yes. All right. My number five is uh, Dario Marianelli's score for Pride and Prejudice, Ooh. directed by Joe Wright. Um, got Oscar nominated. I just looked up to see if these things... Uh, Inception also was Oscar nominated. I just looked up to see if these mm. things were Oscar nominated or won Oscars. Just they didn't. I promise did not affect any of these things. Because one of my... I mean, my next one wasn't nominated. Uh, oh, and then the other three won. But <laughs> the next one was... Um, anyway... There's a, a breadth to Dario Marianelli's score um, where he scores dancing scenes and he has to suggest a lot of melancholy and he has to transcend kind of the obvious like sense and sensibility, pride and prejudice, genre trappings, if you will, that I mentioned earlier. And sometimes he, all has, he has to do that all within one cue. There's a scene we watch for cinematography in class. It's a very famous scene and I'm not pointing out anything new, but in a party where they don't cut and the camera moves through this party. The lighting's different in all the rooms. People are moving and it's like a dance. And the score does all these different things in, in the scene. And it always amazes me. And it ends at this very melancholy place. And you don't expect it, it kind of creeps up on you because they're dancing in one scene and they're talking. Um, and yet it seamlessly moves from thing to thing to thing. There's a scene at the end that's, I mean, it's a cheesy-ish movie at the end. They, 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 they're walking in this field and it's sunlit and sun dappled, if you will. And uh, 
but there's this theme behind it that's just like not dripping that's wrong um infused with what kind of new love feels like and and that's the kind of stuff that always gets to me you you feel this music and you and oh, I'll just talk about myself and I say to myself like you wanted me to feel what new love feels like I feel that so perfectly right now that's why music just blows my mind um and Marion Ellie by the way he's been nominated 3 times never won all for Joe Wright movies so he seems to like really mesh Oh no, I lied. He won for Atonement. I'm so sorry. He won for Atonement, um, which is Joe Wright. And then he was nominated again for uh, Anna Karenina. All period pieces, all directed by Joe Wright. Um, but yeah, he, he crafts very elegant music that, re- that feels very sublime to me. And so I, I had to give him a nod. Um, and I've listened to that score a lot, you know, outside of the movie. And I just, the, the various like daydreams and moods that it brings up, I just think are... It's fantastic. I, I like it so much. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, I'll do my number four. My number four is probably, uh, of these scores, what I feel is the most subtle score, scored by a musician and then a guy who's more of a director. Um, and that's the score for Ben Zeitlin's Beasts of the Southern Wild. No way. Yeah. Sorry, I've just been like, like I hadn't seen that movie since, since 2013 or something, and yeah. then I just rewatched it recently and was so into the score. Oh, it's, it's so It's just good. one of those weird things where the same yeah, thing yeah. comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. And I was actually kind of sad. I used this in class for score, too, and, and it didn't get nominated for score. A lot of people thought it might that year. Um, but it, it's really subtle, spellbinding in a lot of scenes. It has to kind of suggest the precocity of Quivenjane Wallace's character, but at the same time, there's this deeper thing going on that they kind of are pushing this more mystical idea of our connection to, like, nature or animals. And they use the sound a lot, too, which I like. The opening scene is what I show, and you have, like, heartbeats of the, char- yeah. of the, of the little, little animals that she... But then it slowly goes into this, like, music box thing. And, and in that opening scene, it, it has tons of breath and ends in this kind of, like, um, I don't even know, like, this anthem almost. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I can't get it in my head right now. Dang it. I had it for a minute. I was following it through. Da 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 Oh yeah, so good. Da 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 And it has like this this joy of the community that they have in there and the way they all feel about each other and, and the suggestion, you know, of like it doesn't matter where you are or what your circumstances are, it's all about this love and stuff. But not in a cheesy way. No. And then there's a lot of that like um, regional music too, and you have people singing over yeah. I can't do it, obviously. <laughs> but then it has to be these innocent kind of moments for her too when she's kind of quiet and she's uh, and so I, I, I just think it's I just think it's fantastic so amazing I'm so yeah. glad you chose that that's so cool that you watched it recently and I kind actually of ended up recognized that in again in film class yeah. I was like I have to but it's so good yeah uh, yeah. So yeah yeah no I'm so glad that's awesome yes okay right, so you up, yeah you hit up four and then four go and on to three. three yeah okay uh I'm going to represent some horror with my number four here. Yes, tell me uh, more. I'm going to give my number four to Disaster Pieces score for It Follows. Nice, which I just watched. <laughs> Yay, go team. Yes. I'll tell the story about it after he does okay. It Follows. It's not related to the music, but uh, it's funny, and I think you'll all appreciate it. So. I bet I will. So It Follows has, uh, to me, has so many technical working parts that can make the movie special, that make it more than just a run-of-the-mill horror movie. Uh, and so a huge part of that is the score, which has, it's very 
retro inspired but it's not gimmicky or limited to that in any way i don't feel it has several different themes that stand out to me which like usually with horror you get one if you're lucky that kind of stands out but this one has several uh throughout the movie that are reused and that uh i instantly remembered after one viewing but now of course years later i've listened to the score over and over again and i still love it uh i i think it deserves a place in like, you know, the best horror... The Halloween uh, canon. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people love that Halloween. Yeah. And it, and it does right. it does take inspiration from other horror scores. Sure, One of sure. the main themes is very Psycho-esque, but I think it has enough of its own flavor overall that it should be considered one of the all-time greats. That's so I awesome. Love it. Yeah, I love it. No, my story, you already heard. I, you know, Jake had suggested It Follows for a long time, and I was scared. And my wife was scared enough that she didn't want to watch it. So when she was out of town... Which is both a good idea and a terrible idea. <laughs> I watched it and it got over and I was legitimately scared. Like I, this doesn't happen very often, but I didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> and like I watched John Mulaney's like, that tells you what day it was. I watched John Mulaney's like a SNL. opening on SNL, his monologue. And I was like, okay, you're fine. Like if you had just watched any other movie. And then my daughter woke up. It was like 1130 at night or something. And she woke up and came down the stairs and was like, daddy, will you come lay with me? I was like, you bet I will. <laughs> and she ended up being like my security blanket. Like I put, I put her in our bed because, you know, my wife wasn't there. And like, yeah, I'll lay right here, Avery. And that, that, that helped me like uh, calm down. So, that's hilarious. Yeah, and that's 100% true. Like I was, I totally was using her. She didn't even know. She was just like, oh, thanks, Dad. I'm like, no, you're helping me calm down and go to bed. Yay. I'll have to listen to that score again. I'm glad it affected you so much. There you go. <laughs> All right, uh, what do you got? My number three uh, actually is very driven by the new love thing that you were talking about. Oh, nice. Um, so I think this is a weird one, probably like a score people haven't really revisited or maybe aren't familiar with. But my number three is, I believe his name is Michael Brook, uh, his score for Brooklyn. Um, oh, nice. From 2015. Yeah. Starring Sersha. Took me a minute. Yeah. I was like, Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, of Brooklyn. course, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, one score I can listen to all the way through without wanting to skip any track, like, in the slightest, because it's all emotionally driven, just as the story is, and so, uh, I think, I I tend to get sometimes distracted, or, like, not as into scores, when it's the more, like, creating to, trying to create a feeling of, like, generic tension, or something like that, but since this movie doesn't have any of that, it's, like, all so calm and sweet and nice, uh, and definitely communicates that feeling you were talking about of, uh, you know, new love or new romance or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. then later on in the story, more uh, as the character's feelings for about various things deepen, so does the score. And it's uh, it makes me cry by the end of the movie, combined with uh, a voiceover that's happening and the images you're seeing on the screen. So uh, definitely a movie I think that doesn't get the praise it deserves. A lot of people like dismissed it as just like a I don't know standard a drama which it is in some ways but I think there are so many aspects of it that are just top notch and it can't it can't be forgotten so I love nice. it that's awesome I I've only seen Brooklyn the one time so I need to I do, I'm one of those people who needs to revisit both the score and the movie mm-hmm. nice thank you all right number 3 my number 3 is from a silent movie Ooh. That's not as surprising as you would think. Um, so silent movies used to uh, mostly take up pre-existing music. I mean, there there are there are times when that wasn't true, but most of the time, they took pre-existing music. You watch stuff like The General, which I love, 
And like it doesn't always, it's, sometimes it's incongruent with what's going on on the screen. So this movie won an Oscar. I mean, this score won an Oscar. It's by Ludovic Bors. And it's for, you know, uh, the artist. How, um, how could it win? Because doesn't it, sorry, I'll let you talk. No, no. You but I just say, recently learned in. that it directly lifts Vertigo's score. Right, just, but so. just for one part. Okay. And it was like kind of a big, big deal at the time. Like some people were kind of mad about yeah. it and stuff. But the majority of it is completely new. Right, okay. Um, I just thought it, that disqualifies you from an Oscar. I, I don't, I, I think it's a certain percentage. Because I've read a little, I read a little bit of this a long time ago. I don't, you've read about it more recently, so I don't, I can't add anything new. I'm like, no, Jake. Um, but I read about it way back when. Okay. Um, and there was like a mini controversy of just like, because apparently, I mean, I think they got permission, but apparently someone thought they didn't or something. Yeah. There was some weird stuff there that went some... on there. But what, what's interesting is that Ludovic Bors had to write way more music than you normally write. Because it's basically wall-to-wall music, right, which you don't true. normally have in that. a, you know, movie in the modern era. Mm-hmm. But he, there's very little times where there's not music. There's a few times. But he's writing an hour and a half of music when most composers are writing 30 minutes to 50 minutes to maybe an hour. And it has to do so much. There's like, what I love about the artist is that it like exists in 2011 slash whatever time you're watching it. But it has all these nods to what that old stuff was while understanding, like, what a modern audience wants. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people, like, I didn't like it because it was silent or whatever. Um, but Ludovic Borst does that really well. And it's cool to watch a silent movie that has music that functions more like we expect music to function as. Because it's fun to watch the general and stuff, but it's like, sometimes you're like, what's going on? Exactly. Um, and here he has to do so much. Usually it's like, oh, I want a, this one cue. I want, in this scene, we need to. And here, it's like, he's, sound, he's soundtracking everything. Like, everything. So you've got a lot more subtle stuff going on, where it's like, I don't want to draw too much here, but we can't have silence. Silence doesn't work for extended periods of time in a silent movie as much, which is kind of ironic, I guess, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he has to do like this, you know, that's this theme, and there's... You know, when they dance together and stuff, and then there's like, he's going to kill himself at the end, yeah. and he's setting fire to things, and you've got the... Um, it, it's it's one of the most... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dynamic? Yeah, good, great word, okay. thank you. Dynamic scores, because just by nature it had to be. He had to score yeah. an hour and a half of stuff, as opposed to, okay, now we want to up the tension. It was like... We need it in every scene, so you have to be smart enough. And I, you know, the director um, has an vicious. Uh, we both have to be smart enough to say, "Oh, okay, here we need it to do this. Here we need it to disappear, but still be there." And I've just, I've always been. It's, it's sprightly. It's lush. It's deep, and it, it, it perfectly matches everything that they're trying to do. Nodding to old silent movies while still existing in 2011, so that I, you know, so much so that I won an Oscar. Yeah, one of my faves. Great choice. And yeah, we use it. I use it in film as well. I try to use all my favorite stuff, you know? Of course. Okay, my number two is the one I mentioned earlier. Won an Oscar, but technically had a different title at the time. And you mentioned earlier being based on previous stuff. This one is too. So, I mean, if we were doing technical rules, it might Uh be disqualified. In fact, for a while I had, oh, should I not count this? I was like, I could do whatever I want. Of course. And so it's for The Sting, which is my favorite movie of all time. And it is orchestrated and composed by Marvin Hamlish, but based on Scott Joplin piano rags. Okay. Um, which are technically, I guess, a little bit incongruent in the time period. I was reading a little bit about it over the last little bit. But basically, um, 
it's this really rollicking score and it brought light to this music that had kind of disappeared. One of the like producers had heard his son like playing this piece from rag, you know, like the ragtime era and had kind of been like, oh, like, that's really cool. I think that matches what we're trying to do. And Scott Joplin was apparently, you know, this great kind of composer of that specific type of music, but had kind of disappeared from the public consciousness. So they got Marvin Hamlish, who had been around, and he wrote like The Way We Were, and he's pretty famous for, for doing some stuff. And they brought him in, and he orchestrated these old Joplin tunes, and it's really essential to the overall tone of that movie. Uh, it's a super entertaining movie, this thing, you know, not about deep thoughts. And, I mean, not about necessarily a lot of deepness or depth, excuse me. Um, but it's really, really, like, they use the entertainer, which is really right. famous now, you know, as the kind of the main theme. But there's also some, these really melancholy ones, like there's this character who dies early on and they have the scene. Anyway, um, I love the movie and I've always loved the score. I have it on cassette and CD and vinyl. Whoa. <laughs> Just because I got it at various times in my life. Um, and you know, it dabbles in the melancholy, but mostly it's this very sprightly. You're just supposed to feel like these con men are doing their thing and we feel kind of jaunty about it. And, uh, it does that the entire time. And it's, I just, I mean, I love the movie since I was a kid and the score now is, is one and the same with the sting for me. So great. All right. What okay. do you got? Two and one. Two and one. All right. My number two, uh, it still makes me angry to this day because it never received any kind of official release. So when I want to listen to it, I have to go to oh, YouTube no. oh. where it is in its entirety and, and divided into tracks and everything. I just don't know why it's on there, but not like on Spotify. That's so strange. Or like even on a CD, I would buy it uh, still at this point, probably if I could. But uh, my number two is the uh, Arcade Fire's score for her. Oh, that's nowhere? It's nowhere. You can't buy it? You what can't buy it. It was never released. Yeah. What the weird? I know. I don't know what happened. I'm mad. It doesn't make any sense. No. I mean, it feels like you capitalize on Arcade Fire doing a exactly. score for a Spike Jones movie. Yeah. So I, I still look it up like once a year in case it like somehow has been retroactively, you know, released or something and it, it hasn't been. So Yeah. But the score is absolutely incredible and gorgeous. It's mostly piano driven, but they do some interesting stuff. Uh, with some electronic sounds as well. Uh, and it is heavily influenced by, maybe this is some of the complication with it, there are uh, some melodies and kind of like musical motifs that are mixed in from what Arcade Fire was working on at the time from their album, Reflector I think was the album name. And so if you listen to that album, you can hear pieces of the Her score or I guess vice versa, vice versa however yeah, you see yeah, it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but and so that that to me just makes it more interesting but uh yeah it's it's such a beautiful score and to me helps capture the uh i think it it does a lot for helping the movie be taken seriously i mean everything in that movie does that the performances do but uh the way it looks does but I always say this about her that it sounds like it should be stupid, you know, just based on when you describe it to people. Yeah, yeah, but sure. uh, I think the score helps it bring it to that place of no, this is real, you know, uh, a real emotional story, and it doesn't have to just be funny because the concept sounds funny. Uh, so shout out to the track, especially um, "We're All Leaving," which is just like this really simple, like bare bones piano track, but it makes me want to cry every time I hear it. Yeah, a shout out before you do your number one. 
uh, this music in Spike Jones movies is always pretty incredible, I think, because mm-hmm. he comes from this kind of odd, like the Where the Wild Things Are music. Ooh, yeah. Not, and it's not all score in the traditional sense, because there's Karen O, like, singing and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's so essential to the tone, which you mentioned with mm-hmm. her. And I think that's, I mean, it's important to all directors. I shouldn't single out Spike Jones as a necessarily more important, <laughs> but he's also yeah. doing weird tonal things. Mm-hmm. So if the music didn't fit that and didn't work, you'd have like dissonance or you'd have like, what the heck's going on here? And so, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I remember the music. I don't know the music very well to her, but I remember it being really essential to what was going mm. on in the movie. Yeah. It that's truly cool. is. Awesome. Uh, okay, my number one. Number one. Uh, is hardly controversial or surprising, but uh, it was, I think, revolutionary and changed the score game forever. It is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score for The Social Network. When we first started, I was like, oh, Jake will definitely have The Social Network. And then I forgot. I just right. wasn't thinking. And then just now, I was like, what's his number one? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. gave it number one. I did. <laughs> uh yeah, I've I don't know. We have talked about the social network so many times, including an episode devoted to it. So all it means is that you get to hear you if you haven't seen it, you're going to keep hopefully being like poked by exactly. us that you'll go see the social network and consider its implications uh that are so needle precise. Yes. about our modern era. So, yeah, I've probably uh, you know, given a lot of love to the score before, but I just think uh, I definitely have not heard anything like it at the time. I think it takes the idea of an electronic score, which, like, sure, I guess things had had to a degree, but I feel like uh, then and even still now, a lot of times when you hear electronic scores, they're st- they're just so... It's usually to create generic tension or it's used in just a kind of background way that's not that interesting. But the score for The Social Network is so bold and loud and in-your-face, and it's making... Not only is it electronic, but it's making weird electronic noises that you wouldn't normally put in a score. Like, probably most... I'm sure some directors would be like, stop, what are you doing to my movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I love that they had this... I That I assume that it they won, had this creative freedom. It won the freedom. Oscar, too, did it not? I think it did, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I remember Trent Reznor winning. Right. And it was like a cool thing. Yeah. Because he was Nine Inch Nails guy. And so there are, there are so many uh, tracks that... And I guess that's where, you know, a lot of the flavor and creativity comes from, is his musical background, but... Uh, I just love that there are there's such a variety of tracks and like different sounds that they cover with using just that electronic sound. So I'm I know most people recognize the uh, the minimalist you know hand covers bruise uh, recurring theme that happens in the movie, but I I love the whole thing. I really uh, more than any other score on here. Maybe I feel that uh, score works as an album and functions on its own. So nice. love it. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's interesting that you had as your top two both. You know, uh, outside music inflection. It's true. I didn't it's just think kind about of that. an interesting. Not not even. I'm not even pointing out like, oh, just interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Arcade Fire and then Trent Reznor. I know it's Atticus Ross, right? Also uh-huh. with Trent Reznor, but they're inflected that way, and it's interesting because I think, especially you've represented that well, Eurythmics too. The idea that when, uh, comp- uh, pardon me, directors are willing to let composers take kind of interesting risks that yeah. you often come up with some of the best scores. Most of mine are pretty straightforward, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, Hunt for October and A Little Princess have some choir stuff, but I mean, most of mine are pretty straightforward. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you represented some of those more iconic, outside-the-norm scores that came from people who 
you wouldn't have expected to mm. be able to create, you know, a traditional type of movie score. And they didn't, and were the better for it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, very cool. Nice. Okay, my last one, I, I said I mentioned there's one, there's one that didn't make it. The, there were two scores written by the same guy that my parents had on CD when I was a kid, and we listened to them all the time. And um, one of the movies I've still never seen, and that's the one I didn't include on the list, by the way. So you considered putting a score on the list that you that I, well, I was gonna never seen? I was going to see it. I decided before that, oh, no, wait, this other one's going on. Okay. And so then I didn't make it a priority to see the movie. It came out in the 80s. Um, but the one I cut off has one theme that is one of my favorite songs of all time. You know, if you if you go, like, to instrumental music, it's, mm-hmm. it's up in the top two or three. Um, and this, and that score, and I'll get to the guy in a minute, but that score like made the movie famous. So like what happened is the movie came out and people didn't love it. The score was gorgeous. People started seeing the movie and the score started shooting to the top of the charts. This is in the eighties or the late seventies. It might've even been the late seventies. Um, and then the score got huge and became this best selling score. And then people started seeing the movie and the movie got like this kind of, I mean, like a lot, made a lot more money, even though the movie's not very good. At least from what I've been told. Um, but it has this, oh, this gorgeous, gorgeous, and I won't do it any justice here. No justice, but it's like. That's the best I can do. Um, and it is in so many of the tracks. And that it's such a dominating theme, but like I could listen to it literally all day, like all day. And I've heard it hundreds of times in my life. If, if not thousands, that's, that's how many times, because it's on so many of the tracks. Um, and I ultimate, like I just on the strength of that, so I would have seen the movie first if I did put it on the list. Cause I rewatched the other one that he wrote. That's my actual number one. Okay. I had seen it, but not for 20 years. Ooh. And I rewatched it just to make sure. Um, and his name is John Barry, and he doesn't have like a ton necessarily of iconic scores other than these two. And my number one won the Oscar for for best score, and it's from a movie that has aged not so well. Wait, what was the one you didn't? Put? Somewhere in time. Okay. Somewhere in time with Christopher Reeve. Thank you. With Christopher Reeve and uh, Jane Seymour. Okay. Um, and and apparently, kind of B movie esque and really sentimental. Mm. And if there was this, there's this other gorgeous song in it that already existed, I think, by Rachmaninoff a famous composer, I think. And they wanted the movie to revolve around that theme. And they brought John Barry in. And he did something with Rachmaninoff, but then he wrote this other one. And they were like, oh my gosh, that one instead. Screw Rachmaninoff. (laughs) (laughs) You conquered it with this other one. Um, And so there's still the Rachmaninoff one just in like one track or maybe two. And then the other one's in like so many of them. It's called Somewhere in Time. Okay. But John Barry also wrote the score for my number one. Which I listen to, like, it's my dishes washing music. <laughs> it's my, I mean, it's really my anything music. Okay. Um, and the, what's funny is it elevates the movie, like, so many times, like 10 or 20 times. It's a movie that won Best Picture. Very dated now, from the early 90s, directed by Kevin Costner. Um, and won a bunch of Academy Awards, including Best Score for John Barry. Um, but the movie is so dated, and yet... And yet, I watched it just within the last couple months as, we were, as we've been preparing. It works because the score basically does all the work. Like, all the work. Kevin Costner's fine. 
the other actors and actors, they're fine, you know, and the movie's very white man inflected. It's Dances with Wolves, by the way. Oh, um, okay. John Barry did Dances with Wolves. And, 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 and here's the thing, like, it's not like it's a bad movie. I don't want to say it's a bad movie, but it's definitely a product of 90s Best Picture sure. winners. But I watched the movie, I was astounded, astounded everyone out there by how much of the heavy lifting is done by the music. Like, it's, it's just this music that, that brings any, everything you need. Where I was watching it and going like, I know I shouldn't like this. And I already love the score. I'd heard it a million times. But everything John Barry is doing here is working for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm into this. Like, I will stay with this movie because John Barry wrote, the, in my mind, the perfect score. And there's these big epic moments, you know, and there's, there's some Native American stuff that he gets in there, but mostly it's just this lush, beautiful score. Anyway, there's a bunch more. I could do it a, a lot of it. From, <laughs> you from could memory. do a whole concert <laughs> yeah, for us. Okay, here we go. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and, and again, it, but it gives relevance to the character, John Dunbar's journey. And, and this, there's some great cinematography in the movie. And the cinematography in some of those scenes combined with, with this gorgeous score. And I would tell you to go listen to any of it. I, I love the Dances with Wolves score. I think it's... It, it, and again, it won an Oscar, but it's not like iconic in any sort of way unless right. you're a big Dances with Wolves fan. But I, any part of the score you could play, I would recognize it as Dances mm. with Wolves because I've listened to it countless, countless times. Shout out to my parents who you know, were fairly cultured people when we grew up. <laughs> and I don't know what it was about John Barry. I don't really know. I've never asked them about, like, because they didn't have a ton of scores. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two John Barry scores, huh. which I got from them recently because I hadn't bought them, and they brought them up, and I, the CDs again, like, oh, I remember. And, you know, got them on my phone and stuff, been listening. I haven't been listening to them both since we hatched this idea, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I, there's no way one of these won't be number one. They're, they're so, I grew up and listened to them. They were part of my childhood, and... Anyway, nice. Dance right. with Wolves, John Barry, number one. All right, we got you. Got to get to a movie soon. So. I got to see us. <laughs> um, did we have any plans? Did we have any plans for an I upcoming? I think we did. Okay, so, well, let us know, guys. I, I think requests. we we had kind of talked through some stuff, and maybe maybe if I see us, we can do a little us breakdown, yeah. possibly if we feel it's worthy of it. Sure. After we, because I know Eric would would be in on that. I'm guessing... Maybe even a Jordan Peele type of let's talk a little bit about Get Out and uh, yeah. Us and, and maybe. I've gathered even if we don't love it as a movie, I've gathered there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So, even people even who that. didn't like it, mm-hmm. like, oh man, I just, I wasn't sure about this or right. that or... Like it's because it might be controversial story-wise, like yeah. where it makes you be like, I don't know if I like that, so... Yeah, people have said, well, uh, a student of mine and somebody, I think Eric also, both said... Um, that it's more rewatchable. Like, they both wanted to see it again immediately. Oh, so maybe that kind of twisty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were just things that they were like, oh, I want to interpret that again or see that again or understand that again or whatever. I'm so excited. I know. Shoot me a text after and tell me what you think. I will. Well, thank you, guys. We're back, and we'll try to be semi-regular again. Um, We'd love any feedback or donations. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, anything else? We're good. We're good. All right, thanks. Thanks. Bye.